All right, Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15. Let me read it and then we will pray. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and if, and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But he arose, and he arose and came to his father, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories we find In Luke 15, we thank you for Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. We thank you for the joy in heaven when one sinner repents. 
We thank you for the truth we have in this chapter. We pray that you would help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's, there's one point to the sermon this morning. So, if you're a, if you're a sermon note taker, um, this is a good day for you because you only got to write down one sentence. One, one point to the, to the 32 verse sermon this morning. Here it is. The one and only point. God rejoices when sinners are saved. God rejoices when sinners are saved. Now, this is not what the Pharisees do. Verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus ate with tax collectors and other obvious sinners. The tax collectors in this day were the, they were the lowest of the low. They, they were open sinners. They didn't care what anybody thought of them. They were gonna get their money, and they didn't care what the organized religion people thought. They didn't care what the Word of God said. They didn't care. They were gonna get their money. And if you hung out with tax collectors, if you were among this group of sinners, you got the tax collectors and you've got these sinners, the people who would be fine hanging out with tax collectors. Again, just the, the, the most obvious sinners in town. If you thought of today's like um, prostitutes or gang members or drug dealers or porn stars, you have the idea of what kind of people we're talking about. People who sin in an open, obvious way and they don't really care what anybody thinks. But then they met Jesus. I love, I, I, I like that song, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. I love that song. It's a good old song. It's got a good old hymn tune. You know, I like it. It's a very, very familiar song. The last verse though, Jesus, I do now receive him. I'm thankful for that, but I'm more thankful that Jesus receives us. It's more of a miracle that Jesus receives us. And Jesus was receiving. He was receiving these sinners. He was eating with these sinners. Last week, the end of chapter 14, Jesus is making this call to discipleship, right? He is, he is telling the people in the crowd, in the end of chapter 14, He's telling them what it means to be His disciple, to follow Him. And then He wraps it up by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And these folks, these these sinners, these tax collectors, by God's grace, they have ears to hear. Verse 1 says they are drawing near to hear Him. They're being saved. And heaven is rejoicing and the Pharisees are grumbling. Jesus is going to spend the rest of this chapter telling the Pharisees just how far their heart is from the heart of God. God looks at an event this, the same event that the Pharisees are looking at, God looks at the same event that they're looking at, Jesus receiving sinners, and God rejoices, and the Pharisees grumble. So Jesus is going to tell them three stories. Jesus is going to tell them three stories, and all the stories have the same point. God rejoices 
when sinners are saved. God rejoices when sinners are saved. The first story is the story of the shepherd. There's a, there's a man who had a hundred sheep in verse 3. He loses one of them. He, he leaves the 99 in the open country and he goes after that one that is lost until he finds it in verse 4. Then when he finds it, verse 5, he, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then he comes home. He calls everybody together, doesn't he? He says, rejoice for me, with me for I have found my sheep that is lost. Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're looking at. You're looking at, 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 at the, the good shepherd coming and, and finding, seeking, and saving the lost sheep. He says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's, uh, over the, there's, there's, there's tons of people who consider themselves righteous who would say, oh, they don't need repentance. I don't need repentance. But there's that one sinner who has ears to hear. There's more rejoicing in heaven over that one. He says in verse 8, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? He says, this is what I'm doing. I'm seeking diligently. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what happens when the shepherd finds his sheep? What happens when the woman finds her coin? They party! They rejoice! They, they throw a party! They, they bring their neighbors over there and say, Celebrate with me! Why does Jesus come to earth to seek and save the lost? Because God throws a party when a lost person is saved. God rejoices. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exult over you with loud singing. The holy God of the universe, the matchlessly holy God of the universe, exults over us with loud singing. God is so happy over His children that He sings out great shouts of joy. I think um, most of us can kind of we can kind of connect to this in some way. If we have, I think especially if we have children, grandchildren, I think we can connect to this in a, in a, at least in a small human way at least. Um, I was, as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking of the different ways that my children bring me joy. Sometimes when they don't even mean to. I just, they're just, they're just, I think we, we know that as parents, right? Just that, that welling up with joy because of our children. I have many examples I could use, but I, my, the one that sprang to mind the first was, um, Pete was playing soccer this spring, and, uh, and he, he charged in to try to score a goal, and the ball sort of bounced up in the air, and he, and he kicked it while it was in the air, and he kicked it into the goal. And you can tell it was this great moment because he meant to do it, but he was also surprised that it worked, right? And so, um, which is really any kind of goal I've ever scored in soccer or basket I've scored in basketball. That's, that's basically, I meant to do it, but I was also very surprised when it happened. And, um, and that he turned around, and, and I couldn't, couldn't hear him, but I could see him say, Did you see that? 
And he was just so fired up. And I just well up with joy. We love that feeling. We love that feeling. And I think the Pharisees would agree on one level with Jesus here. I think they would say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. God rejoices over some people. God rejoices over certain people. I can imagine a shepherd rejoicing over a lost sheep because he paid for that sheep. It was, it was valuable to him. If he loses that sheep, it's a, I mean, that's a monetary loss. That's a, that's a bummer if he loses that sheep. So it's worth going out seeking and saving that lost sheep. That woman who loses a coin, she has ten coins, she loses, she loses one of them. That's a, I mean, she needs that coin. She wants that coin. She's gonna search diligently. It's gonna be, um, it's gonna be in the last place she looked. I love it when people say, it was in the last place I looked. Well, yeah. Why, why would you have kept looking? I've never understood that phrase. No, again, it was the last place I looked. I was like, well, yeah, so you're not an idiot. Um, I don't know. I, I, okay. I don't know what else to say about that. So it's in the last place she looks. And of course she rejoices because it was valuable. And so, and so the Pharisees would say, yeah, 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 sure. God rejoices over some people because they have value. They're like a lost sheep or a lost coin. It would make sense. But there's no way God was thinking of a tax collector when he wrote Zephaniah 3. No way. The tax collector is what's wrong with our country. He's who's ruining our country. Surely, God can't possibly be happy that Jesus is seeking and saving tax collectors and prostitutes. That's ridiculous. So Jesus is going to tell them a third story. He's going to sort of ratchet up the intensity of God's love. He's going to ratchet up the absurdity of God's love. He's going to say to them, yes, it is ridiculous. The joy in heaven when one sinner is saved is ridiculous. It's undignified. It doesn't make any sense unless you factor in buckets and buckets and buckets of grace. So let's look at our third story together. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So right off the bat, this story is bonkers. This would have never happened. Alright? In first century Israel, this is a hardcore, honor and shame society. You would never treat your family this way. This is a disgraceful, shameful way to treat your father. There's no way that this younger son would have come to his father and said, um, essentially what he's saying here is, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to die so that I can get my inheritance. I can get the share of property that's coming to me. Can you just divide it up early? Since you're not dying quick enough, can you give me my stuff early? That would have never, that would have never happened. In that society, that would have been an incredibly shameful thing to say, a dishonorable thing to say to your dad. And then what gets even crazier is the dad says, sure. He divides his property between them. 
And so the father has to, he has to, um, for this to work, I mean, so it's a parable and you don't get too, you don't, it, with parables you don't dive too deep into the details. The, the point is in the main point. So you can get lost in the weeds if you dive too deep into the details. But this father would have had to sell off part of his business, whatever he had. If he had a, if he had a, a farm or whatever he had, he would have to sell that out, uh, off to, to cash it out to get a, because the, the, the younger son would have gotten a third of the inheritance, the older son would have gotten two thirds of it, and so now really the 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 farm um, or whatever it is has been severely hurt because you've had to sell off a third of it in order to give some cash to this punk kid. So now whatever the older brother will get when the father does pass away will be less. He it won't make as much money. This is an incredibly shameful thing to do. Incredibly selfish. Incredibly dishonorable. This would have never happened. No first century Middle Eastern father would have gone along with this. And any Pharisee that's listening is thinking this, this would never happen. Maybe, maybe in a moment of young punk foolishness, maybe a son would ask something like this, right? So, so that part of it is, is, is sort of possible. I mean, we can, we can see that, and, and we know who we were when we were 17, 18 years old. We can, we can imagine being overwhelmed, overcome with selfishness and, and, and foolishness and, 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 and short-sightedness and, and saying something we regret. Sure, so, so maybe. But this dad would have never gone along with this. Probably what he would have done is he would have laid the kid out. He would have just jacked him in the face and said, we'll never speak of this again. But in this story, the dad makes me almost, th- almost it makes me think of the song, His Mercy is More, where it says, what patience would wait as we, as we constantly roam. The dad gave the son what he asked for. Verse 13, not many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And we know the story, right? There he squandered his property in reckless living. The, uh, the King James says riotous living. Um, squandered, his, squandered his property in reckless living living. So he brings public disgrace to his father just by, just by getting this inheritance, right? This would have been a disgraceful thing for his father in this community, bringing shame and it's making it just abundantly obvious he could care less about his dad, he just wants what he can give him. And then he shames his father by going to a far country, by leaving Israel this would have been another just very shameful thing to do. This is a, this is a big time tax collector kind of move. I mean, Jesus is painting a picture of someone maybe even worse than a tax collector. And of course, he wastes every single cent his father gave him. Loses it all. He wastes it all. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields 
to feed pigs. So now this is not even, when we think of hired himself, it sounds like the man's going to pay him, but we see the man's not going to pay him. The man just sends him out. He basically is getting rid of him. He's basically just getting rid of him. He's saying, I don't, I just go to, go to, go feed the pigs. And he goes because he's longing, verse 16, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Now these pods would have not, I mean, they're not meant for humans. You, you, I think, um, the commentators I read said, you, you could eat them, but after a couple of days of eating them, you would get violently ill. Or, or they're, they're not designed for our digestive systems. I can go into detail if you guys aren't clear on what all we might mean by that. Um, I'm going to spare you. But just the fact that he's with pigs in a Gentile country, he is he's way outside. He is far gone. This is disgraceful. A good Israelite boy isn't going anywhere near pigs. He's not leaving the far country. He's not treating his dad like this. No one's giving him anything at the end of verse 16. He's, he's getting what he deserves. He's in a mess. He's going to starve to death out there. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The the, the kid gets it. And he says, I... the, the, The guys... the." The guys who are just standing around at the beginning of the day hoping my dad will hire them and they're just, they're just day laborers, right? They're just guys who are just waiting around for, for the, for the, for the father to say, yeah, I need 12 guys. Come work with me, work for me with a day. I'll give, I'll give you a, I'll, I'll give you a day's wages. Those guys have more than enough. The son knows the father is good and generous. He knows. And he knows that even the, just the, just the hired servants, they get more than they need. Maybe, he says, maybe my father will let me join that group of just hired servants, hired workers who just stand around at the beginning of the day hoping that there's work for them. Here, any good Pharisee, is thinking, okay, all right, all right. So this, this story went off the rails at the beginning. It just it made no sense. None of this would have happened. But maybe, maybe we're getting to a satisfying ending because maybe this kid is going to get what's coming to him. Maybe this kid is going to come home and the dad is going to, the dad is going to make him earn it. Maybe the dad is going to say, see, I told you. Maybe the dad is gonna, is gonna say, you, you need to grovel, boy. You need to work for me for the rest of your stinking life. You don't treat me that way. You don't treat me that way. You don't publicly dishonor me. You do not, you do not drag my name through the mud. You don't do that. And so the, so the father gets his honor back by, by making a, a public display of his son. Wouldn't that be great? That, to a Pharisee, would be a satisfying ending. Yes. Yes. I told you so. The kid's going to get what's coming to him. Well, if they were thinking that, which they were, 
Eh, they're going to hate what happens next. Verse 20. If the story was crazy at the beginning, it's complete science fiction now. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This means a few things. This means the dad was looking for him. In order for the father to see him from far off, the father wasn't sitting at home. Father was, the father was doing what the shepherd did in the first story. What the woman did in the second story, he was, he was seeking for his son. He was looking for his son. And then he felt compassion. Why in the world would the father be looking for the son? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't the father just be hoping he never sees the son again and never has to hear his name again? Why? Why would he be out there scanning the horizon for his son? And then why would he feel compassion? Why would he not have said, I told you so, look what you did to yourself. This is what you get. So, none of this makes sense. And then he ran, no dignified first century wealthy landowner is going to run. There's no dignified, manly way to run in a robe. <laughs> the first century landowner, if he, needed, if he needed some running to happen, he had people who would do that for him. He was not going to lower himself to running. Nothing is beneath this dead. He runs and embraces him and kisses him. And the word for kiss there means that he kissed him repeatedly. He kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And he, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't even get through his whole spiel. He had more to say. The father cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He is, he is fully and completely and finally my son. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He was dead in his trespasses and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Father's not interested in making the son jump through hoops. He's not interested in making the son make it up to him. He welcomes the son back in fully and freely. There's no working your way into the family. It's all grace. And then they celebrate. And now here comes the heart of the story. If you, if you hear um, this story taught, and then it ends at verse 24, it's kind of like telling a joke with no punchline. And, Steve, and you're like, Steve, you do that all the time. Well, I know, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about right now. It's not, that's not important. This is the, this is the heart of the story. Verse 25 through 32. This is the meat of the story. The, the story is about the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling because Jesus receives sinners. And, the, and Jesus knows that the Pharisees would have hated the scene where the father runs and hugs and kisses the foolish, broken son. That would have driven them, that would have driven them crazy. So here's how he finishes the story. Here's the, Here's the punchline. Here's the point of the entire thing. 
just for them. Now his older son, verse 25, the man's older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. Ah, this is fascinating now, isn't it? Now who is the father coming and seeking? Now who is the sinner who is out? Who is out? Who is the one who is far away now? It's the older son. His father came out and entreated him. Implored him. Begged him. Please come in. Please come in. Now who is refusing the father? Now who is shaming the father? Now who is, now who is causing a, a disgrace to the father's name? Where's the older son? Why isn't he, why isn't he celebrating? The father has thrown a party. Why isn't the older son here? What is going on? Now who is dragging the father's name through the mud? But he answered his father, verse 29, Look! That's incredibly disrespectful. And it doesn't, it doesn't come through well in English, but it's incredibly disrespectful. Look! These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So the, the son is just showing his hand here. He doesn't love the father. He just wants the father to give him stuff. He's, he's just like the prodigal son. He just doesn't smell like pigs as much. He's the same. He's the same. Doesn't love the father. Just wants the stuff the father can give. His heart is far from the father's. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not, not when my brother, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You've had the, the riches of, of being my son. You've had me. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. And really, that it was fitting. You read in other, uh, other English translations, and they get it a lot better. They, they say, we had to celebrate. It was necessary that we celebrate. There was no choice but to celebrate. This is the, this is the joy of the Father. Not just it was fitting. Not just it was a good thing to do. It was necessary. There was no way around it. We had to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, who do not have ears to hear, so they're going to end up killing him. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are this older brother. You're the one who is on the outside. You're the one who is in the far country. You're the one who is dishonoring the Father. You smell better, but you're just as sinful as when that prodigal son took all of the stuff and went into the far country. And now the Father in His patience is, is entreating you. He's imploring you. He's inviting you. He's pleading with you. It looks different with the older brother, but your heart is far from God. Jesus is saying, if you're grumbling, if you're grumbling when sinners are being saved, then you, then you don't understand that you need just as much grace and mercy and, and forgiveness as any prodigal who ever lived. 
If you don't understand that, that the fact that Jesus receives sinners is your only hope, then your heart will always be far from God. The fact that Jesus receives sinners shouldn't make you grumble. It should make you rejoice because that's your only hope. Your only hope is the grace of God. This is our only hope as well. Our only hope. Whether whether our story before Christ looks more like the younger brother or it looks more like the older brother. I, I look back at my story. I, I had a little bit of both. I did as much younger brother stuff as I thought I could get away with. Uh, and I had an older brother heart. I couldn't even sin consistently. Couldn't even pick a, pick a team when it came to sinning. The beautiful message of Luke 15, God rejoices when sinners are saved. So the question this morning for you is, are you saved? Are you saved? Has, has God given you ears to hear? Have you believed the Gospel? Are you following Jesus? Is He your only hope in life and death? No matter how you're wired emotionally, when you hear the words to His mercy is more, when you hear the words to Jesus, what a friend for sinners, when you hear the words to the new song we sang, which is called Luke 15, which is why we wanted to sing it today, Jesus came and rescued us. Us sinners. We were like a precious coin to Him. Your heart filled with joy and thankfulness. Is Jesus your Savior and your King? If that's true, then Zephaniah 3 is true for you as well. God exalts over you with loud singing. God rejoices over you. Because Jesus has come to seek and to save us, this is the, this is the one and only reason that God rejoices over us. Jesus has brought us into the family of God. And since Jesus has brought us into the family of God, God has thrown a party when we were converted. A party that He had planned since before He formed the world. And this is one of those um, truths. This is one of those truths that the more you understand who God is, and the more you understand who you are, you, you, the more you do what this prodigal son did and you, you come to yourself, you realize, wow, I am a train wreck. The more, the more you understand who God is and the more you understand who you are, the more beautiful this is. And the more absurd it is, the fact that God rejoices over our salvation makes no sense unless you factor in buckets and buckets and buckets of grace. One of my favorite and one of the most baffling verses in the Bible to me is, is Isaiah 62.5 where it says, 
as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I remember my wedding day. I remember standing at the front of the church, watching my bride walk down the aisle. And I remember rejoicing. And I have rejoiced in my bride many, many, many times since then. I am filled with joy. I am so filled with joy often that I cry. My wife cries too, but it's different. It's for other... <clears throat> it's for other... She looks back on that day differently. <clears throat> <laughs> we both... Anyhow, it makes perfect sense to me why I rejoice over my bride. It makes more, even more sense to me now than it did when I first rejoiced over her. But I am baffled as to why God rejoices over me the way a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. I don't... I know why I rejoice over my bride. I don't know why God rejoices over me. And let's not do that stupid thing where we say, oh, you're great, Steve. You're... No. No, 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 no. Let's not do that stupid thing because we know who we are. All right? We, you, you know, just, just, be, just be sit there and be quiet with your own sin for a second. I'm going to be quiet with my own sin. And when we do that, we realize, we, we realize who we are. We know the kind of mess we would be if Christ hadn't intervened. We would be dead in our transgressions. We would be sinning our way to hell. We would be choosing the, the pig slop of rebellion over the riches of God. And then we would get what we deserve. We know who we are. And, and we know who we are even after Christ has intervened. We know the, the sin that we still have to fight against. We know the battle that's inside of us. We know the great war that Paul talks about in the book of Romans. We know how much we struggle even after we've been saved. Don't kid yourself. It's absurd that God rejoices over you. It's absurd that God rejoices over me. Unless you factor in buckets and buckets and buckets of grace. And thankfully, God does. So here's the truth. Here's the one point of the sermon. God rejoices when sinners are saved. So what do we do with that point? We just believe it. Just believe it. That's, my, that's the thing I want you to walk away. What do we do this week? What do we do with the sermon this week, Steve? Just believe it. Just believe that this is true. Uh, that we're, we've spent a lot of time in Luke talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to spend a lot more time in Luke talking about what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is about to get very personal with us. Next week, he's going to say, you cannot serve God and money. A few weeks after that, he's going to talk about marriage and divorce. He's going to tell us to rebuke your brother if he has sinned and to forgive your brother if he repents. He's going to, he's going to talk about pursuing thankfulness and humility and persistent prayer. Jesus is going to tell us to do a bunch of stuff we don't want to do. Jesus is gonna be very, he's gonna, he's gonna tell us what to do. If we're going to have increasing strength and joy and perseverance 
to follow Jesus in faith and obedience. If we're going to, if we're going to be the, the followers of Jesus that He has called us to be, and if we're going to do that with, with perseverance and with joy, then we need this truth. We need the truth. This, it's like oxygen for us. We need the truth that God rejoices when sinners are saved. You need to believe that because of Christ and Him alone, God is so happy with you that He shouts for joy. Because of Christ and Christ alone, God is so happy with you that He shouts for joy. That truth will do us a lot of good when we think we're just killing it and doing great. We're tempted towards self-righteousness. That truth will also do us a lot of good when we are tempted to despair. Because of Christ and Christ alone, God is so happy with you, He shouts for joy. Last week, Colin ended the service with um, some words from Hebrews looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're, 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 we're laying aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely. We're running with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go to the cross for the joy that was set before Him. That joy, believe it or not, is you and me. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is, this is buckets and buckets and buckets of grace. Let's, let's believe it. Let's be thankful. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all of the ways that in, in Your Word, over and over and over, You remind us that You... Because of Christ, you love us. You love us. And you're not like us. I'm afraid to show joy. I'm a reser- I, I am a, in, in, in many ways reserved and um, uh, self-conscious. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid, to, I'm afraid to be too happy because I'm afraid that whatever I'm super happy about will be taken away. I'm just a, I'm a bit of a mess. We thank you that your joy in us isn't based on us. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are in. As we, are, we are in. We are in. We are saved. We have the robe. We have the ring. You've prepared a feast. You've thrown a party. You shout with joy. We thank you that we are your children. Help us, to, help us to believe you rejoice when sinners are saved. In Christ's name, amen.